0: from Las Vegas. You're listening to Verve. Church for people who don't like church. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, welcome to Verve. I am so glad that you're here. I'm Vince. I'm one of the pastors at Verve. Today, we are concluding our series, uh, The Pursuit. Next week, join us uh, online, in person if you're here in Vegas uh, for a brand new series we're going to do called New Year's Revolutions. So many of us make New Year's resolutions and they don't work, right? A couple of weeks later, you're doing the same old thing. There's a reason for that. We're going to learn the way to actually change your life and we're going to have our lives revolutionized this year. It's going to be the best year ever. Don't miss it. Today, the pursuit. You know, when, when you think something or someone is valuable, you pursue it right? Uh, Back in college, I was working at a movie theater. Uh, This girl started working there. I was like, hmm. Her name was Jennifer Wilson. I decided she was valuable. The pursuit was on. (laughs) The first thing I had going for me was muscles of steel and sex appeal. Hey, hey. But, But just in case that wasn't enough, I decided to use my Wacky sense of humor and great singing ability. So I would I would write her funny notes on half off hot dog coupons. Um, she she selling the tickets in a glass enclosed foyer that you. This is Buffalo, New York, and so it's cold out. So they would have this glass enclosed foyer. You you'd walk in, by the tickets, and so I would go out there when I could, when no one's around, and I'd be like, "You're so lucky to to work in this glass." Uh, whatever. The acoustics are amazing. And then I would sing, I would sing like opera songs, not really opera songs. I would sing Led Zeppelin. I'd be like, ah! i get higher back in the day. And, um, and, and like, just to be honest, she had no chance against that kind of charm. That's why she's married to me today. I have pursued other things. Uh, jobs, cars, tickets for a World Series game, when you think something or someone is valuable, you pursue it. I wonder what you've pursued. I wonder what you're pursuing. You could, if you want, you could put that in the, uh, in the chat room. Just be honest and brave. And what is it that you have pursued in your life? What's something you're like, I mean, there was a time where that was the thing for me and I pursued it. What's a thing you find so valuable, so worthy, you just have to have it? Maybe it's success or a stable, happy family uh, lower body fat, uh, you know, sculpted body, some guy or some girl, a promotion, a car. Uh, man, there is in my neighborhood this black Matt, Matt Maserati that I see driving around. I actually one day walk past the house. I'm like, there it is. That's where the guy lives. And I took pictures of it, as you can see. It's a little weird maybe. I kind of think it looks like the Batmobile. I wish I had the money to pursue that. Don't got that kind of cash on me. Uh, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? And do you ever wonder if you'll always be pursuing something? Like, you know, you, you think whatever it is you're pursuing will be enough for you, but then you get it and it's not enough. You want something else, which might just be a newer, bigger, better version of what you already got. What if the things you're pursuing will never satisfy you? And what if? What if that's because you're pursuing the wrong thing? Uh, Today, we are concluding our series, The Pursuit. Uh, Next week, we're starting that new series, Don't Miss New Year's Revolutions. Uh, But we've been studying in in our series the last couple weeks through a chapter of the Bible, Luke 15. In Luke 15, Jesus tells a trilogy of stories about the pursuit. Uh, We've looked at the first story, the third story. Today, we're gonna look at the second one uh, where Jesus says this. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. But won't she find a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. So this uh, woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one and it seems Uh, that she panics nine silver coins is not enough and so she turns on the lamp she's sweeping the house she's searching carefully until when so until she finds it she wasn't going to quit until she found it and when she finds it man she gets out her cell phone she's calling everybody tonight we're gonna party like it's oh oh nine to nine Man, that coin, it was like everything to her. It's what she thought was valuable, and she couldn't not have it. You ever feel like that? What do you feel like that about? What do you feel like I have to have? If I don't have it, my life isn't what my life should be. Maybe you're a parent, and it's your kids being successful. Like That is what you find valuable. Like It's not just that you hope for that. You have to have that. If not, what would it say about you as a parent? You'd feel incomplete. And so you're pursuing it for your kids, right? Or or maybe it's for you to be successful. There's something in you that just, you have to succeed. It's like how you measure your life. You believe your life is valuable if you achieve your goals. Maybe it's finding Mr. or Mrs. Right. It's not just that, you know, I'd like to be married someday. No, you have to be. If you thought that that might never happen, panic. The problem is that that thing can't do for us what we want it to. And so we pursue this thing, this something, and we get it, but then we realize that it is not it. We're disappointed, and so we pursue something else, and we get it, but then we realize that is not it either. We're still not content. So we pursue something else and we just keep pursuing and pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And meanwhile, God is pursuing us. In fact, that's what this story Jesus told is really about. I, I read you most of it, but let's let's read the part I read again, but let's also read the next verse, okay? Uh, here's the whole thing. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one, Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. Here's the the next sentence I didn't read last time. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So remember the the setting for these stories we learned a couple weeks ago is that all the sinful people were gathering around Jesus. They loved to be around Jesus because Jesus loved them. He, he was uh, he was this guy who was holy and who said he was God and he was sinless, but he loved sinful people and wanted to be around them. And remember, the, the religious leaders couldn't understand that. They, they, they couldn't stand it. And so Jesus tells these three stories to try to help them understand. Last week, we read the first one, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the first week of the story, we read the first one where Jesus tells the story of a shepherd who has hundred sheep and one of the sheep wanders away, gets lost. Jesus says the shepherd will leave the 99 to go get that one. He will pursue that sheep until he finds it. Nothing will stop him. Nothing will slow him down. He will do whatever it takes to find that sheep and get it home. When he finds it, joyfully puts it on his shoulders, takes it home, throws a party. And Jesus tells us, and that, that story is not really about a shepherd a sheep, it's about God and you. If you have wandered away from him, if there is a part of you that's wandered away from him, there's a part of you that's wandered away from him. God is pursuing you. He will do whatever it takes to find you so he can bring you home to him and his love because he loves you and because his love is the only thing that will ever satisfy you. Now, he's not going to force himself on you but he will uh, get your attention and try to let you know of his love in all kinds of ways. Uh, The first week of our series, we saw how he did that for a famous author named Anne Lamont. Uh, She was an atheist. She was in a lot of pain. And it was like Jesus appeared to her. She she thought it was weirder than you think it is. You're like, that sounds weird. She thought it was weirder, but she just couldn't deny it. She couldn't, um, she, she tried, she tried to reject it. She rejected him. She said, I would rather die than have you in my life, if you're even real. But she she kept feeling like Jesus was pursuing her, like he was with her wherever she went. He was loving her. And finally, she couldn't say no anymore. Uh, her story is very, I don't know, um, very emotional. It's It's, it's kind of mystical. L- let me tell you a very different kind of story that's kind of the same, um, one that is very intellectual. So maybe this is depending on you. You you may relate to it more. It's the story of C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis was a brilliant professor at Oxford University. Uh, like movies have been made of books he wrote, uh, movies have been made about his life, starring the great Anthony Hopkins as C.S. Lewis. So I want to show you some quotes um, that will walk us through his journey. It's fascinating. This is not not boring at all. So he wrote this in 1916. He wrote, I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof for any of them. And from a philosoph- philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. All religions, i.e. all mythologies, are merely man's own invention. Like he didn't just write that in a diary. He published that. And so not only was he an atheist, he was anti-Christianity. But the thing I admire so much about C.S. Lewis is that he was not only incredibly intellectual, he was intellectually honest. Most people believe what they believe and that's it. But he was willing to stay open, to, to continue thinking and studying. So in 1929, 13 years later, he wrote this. I am still finding more and more the element of truth in the old beliefs that I feel like I cannot dismiss. There must be something in it. Only what? And and then later, at the end of that year, he wrote this. You must picture me alone in that room at Magdalene, night after night, feeling, whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term, Trinity is the college he was working at the time, in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. What's interesting is that he's describing the moment when he came to believe there was a God, but at that point, he still did not believe in Jesus. Just with all the studying he had done, he he realized he could not be an atheist anymore. It's fascinating how he says uh, that he felt the, the steady, unrelenting approach of whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. Kind of like Anne Lamott, God was pursuing him, and he felt it, not in a mystical way, but in more of an intellectual kind of way. Jesus was pursuing him. He just didn't know it was Jesus yet. That would come two years later. Uh, God repeatedly put Christians in C.S. Lewis's life. Uh, he tells about in 1931, um, talking with a guy named Hugo Dyson, another guy named J.R.R. Tolkien, who you may know as the author of all the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit books and movies, and um, who were both committed Christians. And they talked till four in the morning, um, the three of them just kind of talking about all this. And C.S. Lewis came away saying uh, the main point he heard that night was Christianity works for the believer. The believer is put at peace and freed from his sins. Not saying he believed that, but he's like, that's what these guys are trying to explain to me. Later that year, in September of 1931, he went to a zoo with another Christian friend, and they talked the whole way on the drive there, long drive there. And he said, When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. Later the next month, October, he wrote to another friend, I have just passed from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ. In Christianity. And then uh, he later talked about his journey to faith and how it was influenced also so much by uh, the writing of two writers, George MacDonald and G.K. Chesterton. He wrote, in reading Chesterton, as in reading MacDonald, I did not know what I was letting myself in for. A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful of his reading. God is, if I may say it, very unscrupulous. Um, unscrupulous means uh, not fair, meaning he, he's trying to say God would not quit. What, what's amazing is that God is always persistent, but also patient. And that That journey to faith for C.S. Lewis took 15 years. For, for most people, I think it doesn't take that long, but it did for him and God loved him so much, found him so valuable, he wasn't going to quit. And God will pursue you until he finds you. You know why? Because when you think something or someone is valuable, you pursue it. Jesus left heaven and came to earth to pursue us, to pursue you, because whether you believe it or not, You are that valuable. And Christmas, we just celebrated. Christmas is all about Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth, to live a human life, to die a substitutionary death so you could be forgiven and have a relationship with God forever. That's how much he loves you. That's why you exist. He created you for a loving relationship with him. And he created you unique, which means no one can worship God like you which means you are irreplaceable to God. Uh, Think of it this way. I have two kids. I love them. I don't love my kids equally. I love them uniquely because they're unique. Uh, More than anything, I want them to love God. But but I also want them to love me, right, and and their mom. But that's a choice they have to make. If you said to me that uh, one of my two kids will end up loving me, but the other won't, I would not be happy with 50%. I would be 100% devastated. And that's how God's love is for us. His love for you is unique. Uh, you, You could probably understand how devastated I would be if one of my kids didn't love me. But you might think, Okay, yeah, sure, for you and your two kids. But but God has, what, seven billion kids on the earth? So just one of them not loving him? No, no, that's not how it works because God is infinite. It doesn't work like that. And I think one of his kids not loving him is 100% devastating. Jesus came for you. And he says, you are worthy of my pursuit, worthy to be rescued, Worthy to be carried on my shoulders. To be rejoiced all the way home. And worthy to be celebrated in heaven. God wants you to know you are enough for me. I hope, I hope that's enough for you. You're enough for me. I hope I'm enough for you. God wants your love. He wants all of it. I mean, You can have other things in your life. That's cool. He wants you to enjoy those things, but not make them the most important thing, the ultimate thing, because nothing else will satisfy you and he wants to be enough for you. If he's not, if you're just not there yet, you're you're still pursuing other things, then he's going to keep pursuing you. Even if you've said yes to him and put your faith in Jesus, but if he's not your thing, he's going to keep pursuing you. The first week of this series, we saw how Jesus left the 99 for the one. Here's what's also true. Jesus will pursue the last 1% of your heart. Like, you know, let's say 99% of you is close to God, but there's still that 1% of you that's far from him. That, that part of you that still thinks something else is going to satisfy you, that, that, that thinks that there's um, love outside of God's love, that's enough for you. If you are 99% convinced God and his love is what you're made for, if, 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 if 90%, 99% of your life is devoted to God, if, you, if, if you've given God 99% of your heart, that is not enough. God loves you too much to leave you there. And Jesus will pursue that last 1%. Uh, C.S. Lewis ended up writing books about God, amazing books about God. And and he talks about this in one of his books called Mere Christianity, how uh, the first part of uh, God's pursuit of him was all about him coming to Jesus. But he said, God didn't stop pursuing me. He says the second part of God's pursuit of, of him Uh, was about him becoming like Jesus. The first part was coming to Jesus. The second part was becoming like Jesus. He writes this about um, God pursuing us after we come to faith, pursuing us so that we'll give all of our hearts to him, so we'll pursue him, not other things that will ultimately disappoint us. He writes, that is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. It is easy to get muddied about it. It is easy to think, that the church has a lot of different objects, education, building, missions, holding services. He says the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man, for no other purpose. We could call, um, we could call the first part of Jesus' pursuit of us search and rescue. Jesus seeking to rescue us from whatever we've gotten ourselves lost, wherever we've gotten ourselves lost. The second pursuit that Jesus makes of us is search and restore. It's Jesus seeking to restore our hearts so that they are fully His, Jesus seeking to um, to reorder our hearts, the, the desires of our hearts, so that God is the only uh, God is in the only place where it makes God sense for God to be in, which is first. I'll say that again because I messed that up. Right. So, so what God wants to do is He wants to search and rescue, and, and then once He finds us, He wants us. uh, he wants search and restore. So what he wants to do is reorder the loves of our heart, reorder the priorities of our heart. So God is in the only place that makes sense for God to be in, first place. We put God first in our life so that you come to a place where you find God more valuable than anything else because he is. And when you think something or someone is valuable, you pursue it. And so you pursue him. And Jesus will come for you you have no idea how or where he'll show up. I mean, he came to earth and he was born in a stable with smelly animals. That is ludicrous self-humiliation, right? God, God is born in a manger with animals? Yeah, he did, and it was in pursuit of you. And it tells you that there is no way you can fathom the links he'll go to for you. No place he won't show up. No place where you can hide from God. No place where you are safe from his pursuit. In fact, I think it's often in those places and in uh, those moments when we least expect him that he shows up most fully because he is pursuing you. He is seeking all of your heart, 100% of it. He wants to restore your heart and reorder the desires of your heart. And so maybe um, on this first day of the year, if you're watching this on January 1st, maybe you're not, but maybe you could give him a little space to do that right now. So I just want to take a quiet moment. I mean, it's not long at all. And just, I want to encourage you, I want to do this, to ask God to show us our hearts. Like, where, where is my heart far from you, God? Even if it's just 1%, even if I'm like, oh no, I'm 99%. That 1%, Jesus is pursuing it. How is he pursuing it? How do you sense God pursuing that part of you? Maybe it's time to, to stop running and let ourselves be found. I'm going to give you a quiet moment, then I'm going to pray, then i got an announcement or two for you, and then we're going to send you out with a song, and you can get back to whatever you're going to do today. All right, let's pray. God, would you reveal reveal to us our hearts? God, maybe there's someone watching this who's, who's never said yes and, and you're pursuing in this search and rescue mission. And they, they, they need to know when they take a step towards you, you come running. For the rest of us, we've said yes and we put our faith in Jesus and we're Christians, we're following him. But if there is even just 1% of our heart that is far from you, you're going to pursue it. God, would you reveal to us what part of our heart that is? Where in our life are we far from you? how are you pursuing us and what do we need to do to come home to you? Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for being eternally relentless with us and patient with us. We pray all these things in his name.